Happy Sabbath, everyone. So good to be in God's house this morning that we could rest in his promises alone. And I want you to be in prayer this morning for the message. The glorious appearing of our Lord is the consummation of our hopes, the very thing we've been looking for, the very thing that we're praying for, the very event that we have been working towards. Jesus is coming again. It is when we become discouraged and give up that we fail to be ready for that glorious event. Everything we see around us today ought to remind us that the promises of God are sure. As I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I covered the message entitled The Appearing, The Appearing of Satan, the groundwork being laid for the deception of the ages. But today we're not talking about the deception of the ages. We're talking about the most glorious event of the ages, the appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He that shall come will come and will not tarry. So before I open the word of God to you this morning, I pray that you'll bow your heads with me as we ask for the Lord to guide so that his name will be glorified. Gracious Father in heaven, this is a privilege far beyond the ability of human vessels. And so this morning, Lord, I yield my heart to you and I ask for your spirit to come and to fill my mind and my life and my heart with you and you alone. I pray, Lord, that you'll speak to your people, that their minds will be so calibrated to hear what the spirit says, that we will not miss a morsel of your word. May your holy angels inhabit this place. And may our minds be reinvigorated and encouraged to get ready through our lives and through our worship for your soon return. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 21. But if you don't have your Bible, it will appear on the screen. Luke 21, 28, a short but very potent verse that says to us that God has given us exit signs, letting us know that our redemption is coming. Dr. Luke writes in Luke 21, 28, these words. Now. He outlined a list of things that were taking place. And then he says, now, when these things begin to happen, let's read the rest together. Are you ready? Here we go. Look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. I'll say amen myself. Amen. One day we're going to be able to look up and all that we have believed and have trusted will become sight. One day above this cold, cruel, sin-laden earth, there is going to arise a cloud about the size of man's hand, reminding us that everything we have believed has not been a part of cunningly devised fables. Let the world laugh as they may. 
But I think the saying fits right here. He who laughs last, laughs best. It will not be a laughing matter when Jesus comes. It'll be a sad matter that many who have been exposed to being saved have rejected such an invitation. And I pray that today, as Dr. Luke reminds us that our redemption is on his way, as HMS Richards Jr., when he was on his deathbed, he said, somebody said to him, your father used to say at the end of the broadcast, Jesus is coming again, but he's dead. What do you say? And on his deathbed, HMS Richards Jr. said, he's on his way. He's on his way. Many years ago, that very famous songwriter named Stevie Wonder, if you've not heard about him, you've been on another planet. He wrote a song. He said, they say heaven is 10 zillion light years away. And just the pure in heart will walk those righteous streets one day. So people that think that heaven has been forgotten, heaven is telling us that they have not forgotten. And we can trust the promises of God. Recently, I did some research. I like to find interesting stories to begin my sermon with. I'll begin with one that I found very interesting. I find things to apply in odd places. And I heard about something recently. I'm not a gamer. Just want to make that clear. I don't I'm not, this is not me. I heard about a game called Crumbling World. And because it fits the atmosphere of our world today, I decided, let me look into this and find out what it's all about. And so I went to their website and I found that computer gamers have found a way to capitalize on the demonic impact of the evil world around us. That's not anything new. We know that this world is filled with demons. Praise the Lord, he still draws a, sand in the, a line in the sand to let them know how far they can go. Amen for that. Because if demons had full sway of doing what they wanted to do, none of us would be here this morning. So they created a game called The Crumbling World. Writers say it is a dark fantasy set in a sinister, slowly decomposing land. Sounds like Earth, doesn't it? The aim of the participants is to navigate and try to survive the world as it rapidly disintegrates beneath their feet. That describes our world, doesn't it, Iris? Our world is rapidly disintegrating beneath our feet. And the only way you don't know that is if you've been living in a bubble. But if you've come out of your house or turned on the news for any length of time, or read the newspaper, or, or maybe rubbed elbows with somebody that lives in the real world. We're kind of sequestered out here. We're, we're kind of in Thompsonville. We're off stage in a soundproof room. But thanks to satellite and internet, we can hear those periodic dings on our phone when whatever app you have notifies you of what the real, real world is all about. What it's like in St. Louis and New York and San Francisco and Los Angeles. And, and, and Detroit and all the major cities, what it's like in the real world, what it's like out there. But I, I continued looking at this, and I realized, yes, we are living in a world that's rapidly disintegrating beneath our feet. In the opening credits, the narrator describes a world that resembles what our world has become. Let me remind you of the words that they use in the opening script of this game. And here it is, if you could read it. In the crumbling world... The writer says these in a very sinister voice. He says, a world emerges from the bowels of the earth 
releasing hordes of terrifying creatures, thirsty for chaos and destruction. Their arrival will mark the end of humanity as we know it. While not everyone succumbed to these evil forces, few believers in the struggle for a free world remain. That's, what that's where we live. As strange and bizarre as that sounds, that is a description of the world in which we live. There are sinister forces at work as you are sitting here today. The Bible describes them as unclean spirits. The Apostle Peter says, the devil is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We are told, be sober, be vigilant. John in Revelation says, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. The devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows he has a short time. So this is a description of our world today. As amazing and as bizarre as it sounds, computer gamers are saying to the participants, this is the world you're in, and I hope you survive while you're running and the world is disintegrating beneath our feet. Think about it. Think about it. Who could have possibly predicted 2020 the way it has unfolded? 2020 means perfect vision. 2020 has done something. It has revealed to us the kind of world that God sees every day. A world where his name is denied. A world where his promises are ignored. A world where the gospel is nothing more than a passing fancy, as some people may say, the byproduct of an over-energetic televangelist, when in fact the gospel is a call to save humanity that's marching slowly to its grave never to be resurrected again. But praise God, today, we can say as those who have received the invitation, those who have become a part of the family, we can say, praise God, there's something better beyond this. What do you say? <laughs> there's something far greater. When all of this has been done, when, when we are walking, Bob, as it were, on the ashes of the world that used to be, we will remember the words of Malachi. They shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. So God will have the final say. While we're praying for our nation's leaders, while we're praying for COVID-19 to leave the planet and go to Jupiter somewhere, we've got to live in this kind of environment. We've got to trust the Lord. We've got to know that his promises are true. What kind of world are we living in? The servant of the Lord describes it beautifully in the book, Counsels for the Church, page 37, paragraph 1. Listen to what she says. We are living in the time of the end. The fast fulfilling signs of the times declare that the coming of Christ is near where? At hand. The days in which we live are solemn and important. The Spirit of God is gradually but surely being withdrawn from the earth. Plagues and judgments are already falling upon the despisers of the grace of God. The calamities by land and sea, the unsettled state of society, the alarms of war are portentous, meaning they're everywhere. If you listen, they forecast approaching events of the greatest magnitude. 
We have no idea. When my wife and I had a chance to go into the Situation Room in Washington, D.C., it is called the most secure room in the world, the Situation Room. We had a chance to go into the White House, into the bowels of the White House, into the Situation Room, where the world is being monitored, monitored 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And you have to be an American citizen to go in there. We were made aware after we exited that 24 hours a day, Joe, seven days a week, somebody is watching what's happening around the world to notify men and women if they need to be in a moment's notice, look for the nearest shelter. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, our nation is being protected from by air, by land, by sea, under the water, by radar, by sonar, by the military, by, by surveillance, reconnaissance, by the Pentagon. But even more than that, God is still holding back the winds of strife. So while I thank God for what we have technologically and informationally, I praise God that nothing is going to happen until God says it's time to let go. That's why I love the words of the Apostle Paul. When he looks at this crumbling world, he makes a statement that I just really appreciate in light of what I've seen. He says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men, what? Most miserable. If you think this is it, your money can't change your life. I've heard about billionaires or millionaires or people with a lot of possessions passing away. They would give every penny they own just to get another breath. So I had to ask myself the question when I got frustrated one day watching Oprah Winfrey. When she was giving out gifts and cars to everybody, my wife and I said, why couldn't we be on that show? <laughs> now, you know what I'm saying. That's the human element. When we see people receiving things that we think that we should be a part of, recipients of, why couldn't, why, why couldn't I be on that show? And then I was reminded in the back of my mind that everything they receive is going to grow old. And the only thing that will never grow old is when, come on, I'm going to invite you, Bob. I'm going to invite you, Ramona. Well, my wife and I celebrate our 15,476th millionth anniversary. I'm going to invite you to attend. Come on, Saints, say amen, somebody. Hey, I'm going to have a birthday party and say, Bob, do you remember? And Bob is going to say, remember what? The former things will not be remembered nor come into mind. As bad as it is, one day it's going to be, as one person says, the good is going to be so gooder that we're not going to remember the bad that was so badder. It's going to be so good that once somebody says, what was it like in 2020? We say, when? The former things will not be remembered nor come into mind. Hallelujah, somebody. We've got a lot to look forward to. But this world is a world that has blinded itself to the signs of the return of Jesus. Thank God this world is not all that there is. When we look at the stage that surrounds us, political exploitation has given birth to social anxiety. People don't know who to believe. Let me help you. Whether you are Republican or Democrat, let me recommend that you believe only this. I could say I'm independent. I'm independent of man's thinking. I'm being guided by the word of God alone. 
Financial instability is orchestrating a fragile future. I get excited only because I have a little measly retirement. Not going to last very long. It's just something that pastors get. You know, when, we, when, we are, when our names are no longer being called and we are no longer mentioned on the lips of anybody, and we're out there sipping our last drink through a straw because our teeth are all gone, when we are not even a we are nothing but a memory, I know that on the day, if the Lord doesn't come, I know that when I close my eyes, I want to be able to say, I know in whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I commit to him against that day. I want to be able to say like the Apostle Paul, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Therefore, there is a crown of righteousness laid up for me, but not for me only, but for all those that love is appearing. When I come out of that, if the Lord doesn't come before that, my wife and I have been praying that we will be alive. You know, I'm beginning to believe that it's highly possible, Bob, that we can be alive to see Jesus come. But like the Hebrew says, but if not, we're coming out. What did I say? We're coming out. What did I say? We're coming out on the first call by God's grace. A world that's socially anxious and fragile, does not understand that there is a future that God has in store for them. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an amateur astronomer. What does that mean? <laughs> I don't even own a telescope. But I like to pick up my iPad every now and then and look at it and move it around with this new technology so I could just imagine what's out there, what's beyond this earth. And I, and I sometimes hit that button where it says go to, and I pick a star that I've never heard of before, Renee, and it just zooms me there, and I spin it around so I could see Earth, and Earth is so far away, I can't even find it. And one day I was doing that, my wife said to me, what are, what are you looking at now? And I don't remember the name of the star, but I repeated it. She said, we'll never see that. She said, how far is it? I said, well, it's 3,300 light years away. That means if you travel for 3,300 years at 186,000 miles per second and did nothing else, that's how long it will take for you to get there. She said, we'll never see that. I said, honey, no, no, we will see that. Because God wants to unfold to us all the gems and the joys of his creation. Amen, somebody. You think that this earth has fun? The Lord says, at my right hand are pleasures, how forevermore. We don't know. If men could come up with these magnificent generated graphics and computer imagery that could just make our minds melt and give us near, a near conniption, what can God do? What can God do? Men can only take pictures of the sunset. God creates the sunset. Men could only measure the magnitude of a volcano. God creates volcanoes. Men can only marvel at the rising waves when surfing season comes around, but God says, and the waves appear. That's the God we serve. So be not discouraged by what you see. We are looking for the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But we recognize that a new season is coming. My leaves are falling. I got my blower primed and ready to go. The leaves are falling. As beautiful as those trees are, we stood out on our deck a few days ago, and I said, honey, isn't that wonderful? We got so many trees on our property. I said, in just a few weeks, 
I'm going to have to blow all those leaves away because everything is just for a season. But eternity is not for a season. Eternity is described as when eternity rolls. What I love about eternity, when it starts rolling, Nancy, it's not going to start rolling. It's just going to keep on rolling. Amen, somebody? It's going to keep on rolling. And I'm going to stay on the inside so I can roll with it. God is saying there's a new season coming. How do I know? Because the evidence is abundant. As we see the season changing, the cornfields turning gray and brown, and they disappear. We loved it when they were lush green, but they are changing colors, evident that the seasons are changing. We recognize also that Jesus is coming. Why? Because the seasons of the world are changing. It will only benefit mankind if we pay attention to the changing seasons around us, letting us know that Jesus is coming. In Noah's day, when Noah preached that a flood was coming, they questioned his sermons with contempt. When, when he appealed for the sake of God to this generation, they denied his message with repulsive mockery. They said it never rained before. And because it never rained before, they rejected the notion of a flood. Well, well, the Bible says it's not going to be water but fire this time. And when we preach a message that seems to be out of date, Joe, people say that's not possible. It, the earth was never consumed by fire before. But the reason why they rejected Noah's message, because they had nothing to comparatively analyze it to, because it had never rained before. But Noah preached not based on comparative analysis of a prior event of that magnitude, but Noah preached based on the validity of God's word. Simply said, uh, uh, simply said God said it, and we believe it. And that settles it for me. Evidence number one that I know that Jesus is coming in, I know the glorious appearing is not far away, is the rejection of evidence. Say that with me, the what? The rejection of evidence. The evidence is everywhere. In the news. It's in the financial market. I get excited when the stock market goes up. I get discouraged when it goes down. <laughs> you know, it's like, you watch, and then the news reporters say, today, okay, I hate that one, today, the market lost $27 billion. And you don't want to look at your retirement. You don't want to look at it. And then every now and then I'd, once in a blue moon, I'd call the people that are in charge of our retirement and they'll say, just leave your money there. It'll go back up. You know, brethren, one day it ain't going back up. <laughs> right? Am I right? One day it ain't going back up. Like we say in New York, it ain't going back up. It's going to come down and stay down. But you know what? When it comes down to stay down, I got another financial plan. And my God shall supply, come on, all of my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So be not discouraged. But we're living in a generation that just rejects the evidence. They're denying the evidence of the return of Jesus. And Peter the apostle said it this way. Another evidence of the coming of the Lord. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 and 4. The Bible says, knowing this when... First, that scoffers will come in what days? The last days. There today, we're living in that time. What are they going to be doing? Walking according to their own lusts or their own desires and saying, where is the promise of his coming? HMS Richards Jr., whatever happened, he's on his way. Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning. I'll say like the little kids used to say, nah -uh. Remember that? Nah. -uh. 
The world is not the same since I graduated. Any old people can say amen? Now, I've noticed I didn't put myself in that category. I just said, can any old people say amen? It's not how it was when we were in high school, right? I didn't have the fear of being shot in high school. There were not metal detectors when I went to high school. Come on now. The biggest thing that could happen was a fist fight on the football team. Or somebody got mad at the basketball score. Or two gangs met outside the school and got into a, a, an enthusiastic fist fight. Maybe they swung a stick or pulled out a stiletto that they missed cutting somebody with. We live in a generation where metal detectors are at the entrance of schools. We live in a generation where people are, some schools are, some people, some teachers are packing a weapon in the classroom. So things have not continued as they used to be. There was a time when all you needed to make an agreement was a handshake. Nowadays, people don't even honor a contract. Things have not continued the way they used to be. We live in a generation where your neighbors will look out for you. But now we're living in a generation where if somebody breaks into your house, your neighbors saw nothing. We're living in a society where what seems normal to man is repulsive to God, and yet it becomes legislated. A man marrying a man and a woman marrying a woman. As one writer said, one songwriter says, take us back to the days of yea and nay, when it was plain to see the way, when it was up to us to choose whether to win or lose. We're living in quite a different generation. Peter said, they willingly forget. He made it clear, they willingly forget. When you go down to verse 5, he said, they willingly forget. In other words, they see the evidences, but they don't want to look at it. They don't really care about it. They willingly forget. But I'm reminded in Hebrews 10, verse 37, the promise of Jesus. He said, for yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not what? And will not tarry. The return of Jesus has not been postponed due to COVID-19. Right? Arenas are shut. Football game arenas are virtual. Basketball game arenas are virtual. There will be no virtual second coming of Jesus. It will be literal and visible to everybody. <laughs> Behold, he's coming with clouds, and every eye will see him. There will be no virtual return. You will not be given a Zoom link to see Jesus return. <laughs> Hallelujah. There will be no Google Meets for Jesus' return. It'll be visible and literal, and everybody will be in one room or the other. Yet a little while, and he that shall come, will come, and will not tarry. But I'm looking at something that COVID-19 has done. COVID-19, for whatever reason, has become the tool whereby people are comforted in rejecting the evidence of this pandemic. But you know what? Jesus said, that's what's happening. The devil has weaponized COVID-19 to make it a political event in America, but it's a medical event in the rest of the world. And Jesus said, the devil's behind that. Because you can look at things around you happening and deny it's happening. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 16. He said, that's the kind of generation that will exist just before Jesus comes. He said to the Pharisees that as he said to them in Matthew 16, verse 2 and 3, he answered and said to them when they were asking for evidence, he says, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. 
And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, he says, you know how to discern the face of the sky. But what else does he say? But you cannot discern the signs of the times. Whenever I hear something happening, you know what happens to me? I don't say, oh, what are the pundits saying? Well, what do we do next? I consult the word of God as the songwriter says, to them it's just another earthquake or just another war, but to every child of God is something more. So when we see things happening in the world, it's another harbinger, another indicator, another precursor letting us know that Jesus is coming. And I praise the Lord, there are things that are coming upon our world like the storms that are coming off of the Gulf or the storms in California, the fire storms, or the, or the floods in the East, or the instability of politics and finances from coast to coast, and the social unrest, and the, and the riots, and the, and the call for social equality. All that's happening. When can you recall America being in the condition that it presently is in? And as I read something a few weeks ago my wife shared with me, the word unprecedented has been used more in the last four months than at any other time in describing what's taking place in our world. Unprecedented, unprecedented, unprecedented. But I'm less concerned about those storms. There's a bigger storm coming. Evangelism, page 704, paragraph 1. Angels are now restraining the winds of what? Strife, until the world shall be warned of its coming doom. But a storm is gathering, ready to burst upon the earth. And when God shall bid his angels loose the winds, Lord, have mercy, there will be such a scene of strife as no pen can picture. How does songwriter say it? You ain't seen n -n 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 nothing yet. They're right. We ain't seen nothing yet. Because I want to tell you, it seems like we're living in the kind of world where when we think that was something, something else comes along and says, now that made us forget that. And then when that hits us, something else comes along and says, now that is unprecedented. That never happened before. It seems like one event competes for the center stage, easily replacing. We don't even talk about 9-11 anymore. When 9-11 occurred, that was like the event that the United States, <sighs> what's going on? New York and Washington and Pennsylvania and, and, and various parts of what's going on? And then all of a sudden, here we are, 2020, and we're thinking about for the first time in human history, the world is taking a collective breath. And what we are being told is there's a storm gathering ready to burst upon the world. And when God says to the angels, let go, that's why I don't care how bad it gets, I'm not leaving. I'm staying on board. And what anybody, can you say amen? Because a lot of people leave in the church. When I say a lot, I'm probably underestimating. People are leaving. I know of a friend of ours and <clears throat> who was strong in the ministry. Decided to follow some false prophecy, some false reprediction. Put his job on the line, lost that job, and now is off on some tangent somewhere 
Whenever you reject truth, you go on to darker and darker and darker and darker things. And to you, it seems like light. Because once you turn off the light, anything else seems brighter than what you now have. But I'm staying on board. Somebody said to me, <laughs> somebody said to me, I'm not a Facebook person. I don't stay on Facebook, but I like to go on Facebook and post my sermons. I ain't going on Facebook telling people how upset I am about anybody else. <laughs> I like to go and post my sermon. So when I'm there, whatever's on my page, I read it. And somebody sent me a post talking about somebody who had left the church and now think they have greater light. They said, you should leave the ministry and follow them. And I thought to myself, you obviously don't know me. <laughs> Amen. I'm not leaving like Peter said, Lord, where are we going? You have the words of life. Why would I walk away from this ship to get into an inflated rubber dinky <laughs> that cannot survive a ripple when the old ship is iron that has been sailing on the waves of the crest of failing humanity has been battered and beaten and hit by missiles from Satan's arsenal, and we are still on board enjoying the promises of God. Why am I going to leave them? Why am I going to leave the remnant church with a remnant message to follow somebody who's cunningly devising fables, communicating them with great enthusiasm, yet are in darkness so intense that they can't see the truth right before their eyes? What kind of world are we in today? The Bible tells us what kind of world we're in today. Listen to Noah. As the Bible has communicated what he saw in his day, Genesis 6 and verse 11, our world is just like Noah's day. The earth also was corrupt before God. The earth was what? Filled with violence. Filled. Violent cells. You know that? Violent cells. Today, I'm going to try to be delicate today, but on the heels of what happened recently, just this week, Lord have mercy. <clears throat> hmm. I need to take a drink of water before I say that. Okay, I don't need water, I'll just say it. Lord have mercy, give me wisdom. Arise in a rise in membership to terrorist groups in America. There's been a rise in signing up for terrorist organizations being born in America. Let me say that again. Membership to terrorist homegrown organizations have spiked this week. People are calling themselves militia, defenders of this and that. From Michigan to South Carolina, North Carolina, to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. And for the first time, we are threatening our nation with something that is we thought was dead a long time ago. White supremacy. We thought that was dead a long time ago. I'm in Thompsonville. White folk here like me. Amen. I got friends that wear camouflage. We're good friends. Ain't nothing wrong with that. I got people that know me well out here. It took me a long time to get there. We talk in Walmart. We fly our planes together. That's right. I went down to, I went down to the tractor store. They know me. I'm a customer in the tractor store. I'm from Brooklyn. Come on, that's not odd to you. They know me on a first-name basis. I walk in and say, hi, John, your, your, your chainsaw on the back. I'm from Brooklyn. I have a chainsaw. 
Come on, help me out, somebody. I know what, I know what kindling finally means. And I know the difference between pitch pine and, and Douglas fir. <clears throat> I've been home. I've been, I've been, what's that word? What's that word? Come on, now help me with that. I have been, I have been revamped. The word will come to me later on. But I want to tell you, we've got to stop thinking that because people have a different skin color than us, that they are worse or better than us. The people of God must be a people that look away from the craziness of this life and learn that we don't judge a person by the color of their skin, but by even if we don't know them, love them anyway, because every one of us has the same father. We just have different mothers. What's your daddy's name? Adam, I guarantee you. You trace it back enough, Adam's in your roots. And we all came over on that boat with three little brothers, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. From one blood came all nations. But the earth is changing. It's a crazy place. And, and the Bible describes that as it was, it's going to become. And it's becoming just as the Bible says it's becoming. Look at Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart were only what? Evil continually. Evil continually. That's why we've got to be really careful what we allow to come in our homes, what we allow to look at on our devices. There's no, no such thing as an evil device, but it's what we allow it to do to us. It's what we allow to come into our minds that makes the difference between where we were and where we are headed. And the only assurance we have when we look at this kind of description is the unwavering faith that we have founded in Jesus. Amen, somebody. The world is becoming violent. And with all these, you know, this constant stream, we go from, I remember the days when you had to have a phone number to get on the Internet. Now, young folk, you can't say amen because you have no clue about what I'm talking about. But you needed a phone number. When you go to a hotel, you had to dial a phone number, and then it went like this. Remember that? Come on, man. Remember that, Jeff? I had Earthlink back then. Well, you had to pay to get on the Internet. And you only had about three megabytes before you went into you over your plan. Now we live in unlimited the devil has made on, he has given unlimited access to stuff that, if not properly guided, can mess our minds up. And they're trying to find ways of, we barely got 5G, now they're talking about 10G. Now you see, can you imagine the kind of internet they had in Noah's day? Their thoughts were only evil continually. Everything was pouring into their minds. Which brings me to my, to my second sign. The world today is increasing immorality, increasing immorality. Listen to how Dr. Luke describes the kind of world that was back then, increasing immorality. Listen to what he says. Luke 17, verse 28 and 29, we read in God's word, likewise as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built, nothing wrong with that, but on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and did what? Destroy them all. Destroy them all. According to all scriptural indicators, another destruction is coming. The human heart has been immoral since the fall. But we live in a world that exists and exalts sexual depravity. You read in these magazines and you read the news articles and you see what's happening. You don't know which way to go. 
One of the signs that we're living in the time of the end is society is, a, is, a, is applauding things that are not acceptable in the sight of God and things that even animals won't do. Sexually depraved world. But what did Luke say? What did Dr. Luke say? Here's what he said in Luke 17, verse 30. Even so it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. What kind of day was Noah's day? The voice of God was, was ignored with impunity. Pleasure consumed the minds of society. Salvation was ignored. Sin was preferred. Sexual immorality was applauded with great intensity. And men's minds became continuously evil. We got to watch out. Young men, when I was growing up, you know, you didn't have that. We didn't have access to this stuff today. We'd be outside playing baseball, riding our bikes, playing jumping jacks, skelly hopscotch, pogo sticks, <clears throat> throwing water balloons at each other. Nowadays, young men are locked in their rooms, sequestered. Their minds are being sucked in by the internet. They're growing up to be unbalanced men. Cannot look at a woman and look at her in the right way because their minds are so twisted they see her as a sex object rather than the son and daughter, the daughter of God. Marriages, the fragile foundation of marriages on sexual immorality. If God were not to open the doors of grace and salvation for all of us, we would be without any kind of future hope at all. That's the kind of world we're living in. And that impacted the Israelites. You look at what happened to the Israelites, it's happening to us. And the world is becoming like it was in the days of Lot, in the days of Noah. And the Lord said, when you see these things, know that the end is near. Well, what happened? Why did it become this way in the days when Israel was on its way from Egypt to Canaan, why did it happen? Look at Exodus chapter 32, verse 1. For the benefit of those online, it's on the screen. But if you have your Bibles, it's always good to turn in your Bibles for yourself. In order to understand the impact of Israel and understand how it fits to us today, we've got to look at this passage together. Exodus 32 and verse 1, the Bible says, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, did he delay? Did Moses delay? No, you know what? They thought he should have been back already. But the Lord said, you need to be up here 40 days and 40 nights. You see, let me make a point before I go to the rest of the verse. We think somehow the Lord has delayed his coming. He hasn't delayed anything. We just thought he should have been back already. Because Jesus said, the evil servant will say in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming. Well, watch this. I'm going to read it again. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Whatever happened to the sermon you preaching about the coming of the Lord? Whatever happened to that sermon? Well, he's, yeah, you're right. I did that, I did that about 22 years ago. Yeah. Is he coming again? Well, I, I guess there's an apparent delay. Let me tell you something, friends. The Lord has not delayed his coming. 
We just think he should have been back already. But let me show you something. This is how God works. And I don't suppose to know God's mind, but I know that he said he's not willing that any should perish. Do you know that there are people today that still don't know the name Jesus? He wants them to get the same opportunity we have. Amen? So when they know, when the gospel has been preached to all the world, the Lord says, as a witness to all nations, everybody will have an opportunity to make one decision or the other. When the grace of God that brings salvation appears to all men, then Jesus will say, it's time. And you might try to figure out how that's going to happen. I'm not going to presuppose how to do that. But God said he's going to finish the work, and I believe he's going to do that. But what happened? They lived in a time where the devil took advantage of the apparent delay, and he added to their lives negative effects. And so therefore, instead of getting ready to go to the promised land, when you read the rest of the story, the God that, that um, Aaron made said to them, let's go back to where we just came from. You know what? I don't want to go back to where I came from. I want to keep going forward. Anybody else? I don't want to go back to what I used to do and where I used to be and what I used to be. I want to go forward to what God has for me. One of the greatest dangers is when we think that time is on our side. Got a lot of time. I saw the picture of a 19-year-old young man. Play football. His parents said he was in excellent health, no pre-existing conditions. He had barely a sneeze, barely a cold, and he died of COVID-19. But he's not 65. 19. Snatched before his time by a silent killer who has no respect or a person. Nobody has time. Peter makes it clear to us in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, be sober. Together, be sober. Be what else? Vigilant. That means look in every direction. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may do what? Whom he may devour. Paul the apostle adds to that. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he what? Falls. <clears throat> you ever felt dizzy? Ooh, what happened? The world is trying to make us dizzy, trying to get us off kilter, trying to mess with our equilibrium. What does that mean? When we spend our time on things that are not furnishing for us the nourishment for eternity, it messes with our equilibrium, and rather than standing strong in the Lord, we're leaning in the wrong direction. That's why during the week when this sermon is done, you got to spend the time in your week. You got to intentionally pick your Bible up and study it. You got to intentionally have devotions. You got to intentionally pull your family together because we have this natural tendency. Our equilibrium is already off because we struggle with our own issues. But if you don't intentionally try to calibrate yourself, I've seen people when plants grow, I, I didn't understand this, but I went to somebody's house once and they had a garden. And I saw all these strings, you know, a piece of wood over here and a piece of wood over there. And I said, why do you have strings? They said, we have to train the plant to grow straight up. And I thought, wow. God's word is intended to train us to do what? To grow straight up. And Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, 44, what did he say? Therefore, you also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour, what? You do not expect. Which takes me to the third sign. I just have two more. The third sign is what? The destruction of society. 
Now, this is going to be a little different. If you heard about the destruction of society, I've talked about some of the other aspects, but I'm going to approach this one quite differently than what you might expect. I'm going to share with you an article about how society is being destroyed today. There was an article that was released in the Associated Press by the Associated Press. It was released on December 21, 2005. Now, the reason why I chose an article that's 15 years old is because when you read it, you're going to say, that sounds like today. But if this was true 15 years ago, what do we expect today? Listen to what they said. And the subtitle of, the, of this article was, Americans Addicted to High-Tech Gadgets. Listen to this. Millions of Americans are now showing early signs of addiction to the next wave of high-tech toys, according to an Associated Press poll. And children are leading the way in this newfound form of addiction. Now catch this. That was long before we had the internet as fast as we have it now. 5G wasn't even a word. 4G wasn't a word. Thank you, Bob. Well, maybe it was. Not sure. But what we have now, if, if, if that was happening 15 years ago, what's happening today? According to Dr. Archibald Hart, he describes what's happening. You want to read a really good book? Get this book entitled Thrilled to Death. It may save your family's life. Dr. Archibald Hart, he's a, he's a psychologist, a well-known author. He, he travels to universities trying to warn young people of what's coming. He said, the abuse of our pleasure center is creating the persuasive anhedonia, and I'll describe that in a moment, that drives our need for excessive excitement and stimulation. In this sense, therefore, the internet can be a significant cause and consequence of modern-day anhedonia if misused. Now, let me tell you. Let me put this together as he said it. He points out that it is not necessarily the amount of time you spend on the internet, but the reason you're on the internet. Did you hear what I just said? Because he said, there are those who are computer analysts, they deal with finances, they deal with uh, companies, they've got to be on the internet. At the Pentagon, they're on the internet 24 hours a day. He says, the reason you're there is more important than the amount of time you spend there for some things. But Apple computers, you know it, they have seen such an increase in these anhedonic behaviors in young people that they place within their phones, and this is now on the Android platform, so that you can time your kid, you can literally say to them, you can give them an iPhone and you can set how much time they could play a, long, a game for. You can say, you can only play that game for 30 minutes. When that time limit is reached, that game shuts off automatically, automatically to save that child's mind. Because nowadays, when children, they go to bed with their phones, they wake up in the morning with anhedonia. Let me describe what that is. What is anhedonia? When we are born, let me illustrate. When we are born, <laughs> this is a cough drop. Nobody really runs for a cough drop unless you have a cold. But say, for example, a child that's six months old, and uh, this is actual. I'm, I'm explaining an actual event. When I was growing up in New York City, we had a lady at church that will give kids candy every Sabbath. <laughs> we call her Sister Schoberg. We look for her every Sabbath because we knew where she sat because she had candy. And we can always tell that church had 1,200 members, but somehow after we got our first piece of candy, we could hear this sound. 
we could hear that sound like it was a bomb because we knew associated with that sound was candy. So when we heard that crackling sound, we knew there's candy 27.6 feet away from us. And all the kids gravitated like a magnet to Sister Schoberg after church as she destroyed our cavities, as she gave us cavities from week to week, helped, us in, the, helped in the building. I don't know if she was a dentist on the side, but maybe she was. But here's anhedonia. So, so doctors, Dr. Archibald Hart says, when a baby is born and they hear that sound and you give them a piece of candy, mm, the sweetness of it tunes their mind to say that sound means you're going to get something sweet. So the more they hear that sound, the more they want something sweet. The more sweet they get, the sweeter it has to be. Because the sweetness that it had in the beginning cannot bring the satisfaction any longer. That's the addiction. So what happens now is when you're on the internet and you're watching stuff that you shouldn't watch and it brings you a pleasure, that pleasure after a while no longer satisfies. So you got to get something darker or more sinister or more devious or more perverted to take you to the next lower, lower level until you get to the point where they say when you're born, it's easy to give a baby a balloon and they're excited. But you give a 17-year-old kid a balloon for Christmas, see what happens. <laughs> Parents, do, need I say? Merry Christmas! Kid runs to you. I bought you something for Christmas. <sighs> Here. They'll go. <laughs> and nail you to the side of the house. That's it? We went to Africa. My wife and I went to Africa. She blew up a balloon for the kids. Their eyes were about to jump out of their heads because they ain't never seen a balloon that big before. She gave them a piece of gum. They didn't know what to do with it because they had never had a piece of gum before in that community. She said, don't swallow it. Everybody was reaching for a balloon and a piece of gum. Here's what happened. Their society, you know, we call them third world. They're more balanced than we are by far because they could go out in the forest and till a tree or till a field or cut down a tree or, or lead the cattle and come home and, and respect their parents. We are so inundated by electronic devices that tell us what to do that we don't respect parents any longer. And we get darker and darker and darker, and they're saying when you're a baby, there is no barrier between the baby, and the pleasure center. They don't need a dopamine hit. That's why kids today like to get a like. If, they get, if somebody unfriends a kid, uh, uh, nowadays they might commit suicide. Because you know what? They just stole that dopamine hit that says to them, I'm loved, I'm liked. Those are my friends. They ain't your friends. They, they're on Facebook. So they said what happens is the more you are on that device, the wall starts coming up and you need more dopamine to go up and climb over that wall. But you're addicted when the wall is so high that you have ceased to be able to experience any pleasure at all. And you are numb. And they said as a result of that, you know what happens? The kid goes into depression and we associated that with multiple personalities. The kid is so out of whack that it takes removing all of that. And you know, they said the best thing to remedy that is send kids to the mission field 
when they stop doing stuff for themselves and start doing something for somebody else. And how does the Bible describe that? What's happening in our world today? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 4 and 5, 2 Timothy, thank you, my honey, 2 Timothy 3, verse 4 and 5, Paul gives us a snapshot of the mental and physical impact of our generation because of this addiction. He said, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such do what? Turn away. Turn away. He's saying the mind is so overstimulated that it loses focus. Therefore, it no longer delights Bible study. Because you know what? If you've got a device moving at, you know, two, meg two millisecond refresh rate, you know, those of us who are computer savvy know what that means, two millisecond refresh rate, 100, 120 millisecond refresh rate. We know all that stuff. We got a computer that's, you know, so fast that it needs a fan to cool down the processor. We got all we need at our fingertips. We are mega ready to play video games. Well, you know what? You do this and, and something happens in a matter of a millisecond, but that's not how it is when you study the Bible. You got to dig through this thing. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You got to spend time in the Bible. It's like a recipe book. You can't look at a recipe and have the meal done in 10 seconds. You got to put that together. Am I telling the truth? You got to spend a little time perfecting that recipe so that people are excited about what you cook up. And what the Lord is saying is this world is so overstimulated that when light comes, listen to what Jesus says. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse 19. He says, and this is the condemnation that light has come into the world. But what's the problem? Men loved what? Darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. That means they have so been molded by what's going into their minds all the time that they don't like to do right. They are leaning in the wrong direction and their deeds are evil. That's why Isaiah the prophet says in the last days, look at Isaiah 60 and verse 2, for behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be where? Seen upon thee. That's the people that God want his children to be. People of the light. This is the generation. Years ago, Cindy Lauper, I think, was the one that said it. Girls just want to have fun, fun. Well, guys do too. Everybody wants to have fun. But well, we ought to be able to know that studying God's Word is fun. It is. I said to somebody once that came to me, they said, what should we do? I said, turn off your phone for a week and read the Bible. These two young teenagers walked away from me and looked at me like I was out of my mind. They went, nah-uh. <laughs> I'm telling the truth. This happened to me in Kissimmee, Florida. After I preached a sermon, they said, you mentioned that. Well, so how could we what, we, what do we need to do to have that kind of relationship? I said, turn your phones off for a week. They looked at each other like, he crazy. I ain't doing that. And they walked away. They'll never enjoy the pleasure of studying God's word. And you know what? Let me make another point. It's okay to have the word of God on a device. I'm okay with that. But there's nothing so sweet as to turning the pages <laughs> to study God's word. You become a connoisseur of the Word of God. You could know how to use that sword when the time comes. Well, that's why the Apostle Paul describes this day, this generation that's inoculated and it's happening to the church. And he says to us in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 7, he warns us, he says, we're living just before the coming of Jesus. Do not become idolaters as some of them. Meaning, look what do they do. 
As it is written, what did the people do? This happened to Israel, and it's happening to us. The people sat down to eat and drink, and what else? They rose up to play. They rose up to play. I read this statistic a few months ago, and I, I made note of it. i got to give you the reference for it. But it says, as of 2020, as of this year, there are 9.2 billion smartphone subscriptions. More than 50 billion new devices are dependent on the Internet. But now watch this. If you think that's something, what has COVID-19 done? COVID-19 has made more young children accessing the Internet now a reality. Isn't that right? Since you can't go to school, what do you have to do? You got to do it how? Virtually. So children that didn't own a computer before, didn't have a laptop, didn't have an iPad, or didn't have some kind of electronic device, they have it now. So parents, be careful how they access the Internet. Because what's happening today is in this virtual society where the world is going in the wrong direction, children are on the Internet. That's why Paul the Apostle reminds us, when we have that kind of device, he says to us in Romans 12, verse 2, what does he say? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the what? Renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In order for us to be ready for the coming of the Lord, we have to develop a mind that looks forward to something that this world doesn't give us. Right? But if this world is the source of all your pleasure, you ain't looking forward to the coming of Jesus. Because if Jesus comes and interrupts your pleasure, you think of going to heaven as a, somebody said, so what are we going to do, sit on a cloud and play harp all day? I always, I, don't, I always don't like that picture. Years ago, they used to have this little fat baby with a diaper playing a harp on a cloud. And people develop in their minds, that's what we're going to do. No, we're going to go on journeys to unfallen worlds and galaxies. Come on, somebody, help me out. We're going to see things that God is holding aside. I had not seen, ear have not heard. God has pleasure that if man could create these flimsy passing pleasures, version 1, version 2, version 3, version 4, and what happens? We get all the versions, we still ain't satisfied because we're waiting for the next fastest, best thing. I remember, <laughs> if you're a gadgetarian, say amen. Only Ricky and I admit that. All you guys are undercover. I remember, and we are gadgetarians, you know, if we want to buy a computer or a device to accomplish what we want to do, we want to buy the best. We want to get the fastest processor. But I remember when I got my first Pentium, <laughs> I got my first Pentium Dell computer. <laughs> Mike could appreciate this. It was a Pentium, it was a Pentium 133. <laughs> Ricky's laughing because he knows what that means. And it said zero weight state. Now, I thought it meant you wait zero for what you click the button because it, it happened in zero time frame. <laughs> that didn't mean anything. Soon as I got that computer that I paid $4,200 for, Ricky, as I'm unboxing it, my techie friends from the church I attended in California, they said, you know, we just heard that the Pentium 266 came out today. And I'm unboxing the 133. That means this one is twice as fast as what I just paid $4,000 for. And it went from that to the Pentium 2 and the Pentium 3 and the Pentium 4, and then the, the chipset started changing. And you know what? We're still in that electronic race today, and I can guarantee you, if you buy it today, we went to Best Buy yesterday, and I said, now what's the difference between a Note 10 and a Note 20? She has a significant difference. 
I said, explain it to me. Well, the process is a lot faster. It has a amyloid screen. It's Can I make a phone call? Yeah. You make a phone call. And a whole lot more. It's a better camera, higher graphics. And I'm thinking, they, they always get us. Come on, somebody, admit it. They get you because you want the next best, greatest, and latest thing with the four cameras. Well, this one has three cameras, but that one has a fourth camera. And you probably want the one with the fourth camera. For $13.99, I'll settle for the three-camera one, and I'll stick with what I have. Come on, help me out. That's what we're living in. We're living in that generation, and we're trying to go from one high to the next, and all the time, the thing that's right before us is the gospel is being rejected. How is the gospel being rejected? Notice what the Bible is saying. This generation is the kind of generation that when it's in that avenue, it doesn't have time to study the Bible. And you know what happens? They begin to build their belief system on what they're watching on television and in the movies. Somebody said, did you see the movie Noah? I said, no. They said, I want to see it as soon as it came out. Did you see the movie? No. They said, I heard it made look like Noah and God were at odds with each other. I said, well, I ain't even going to rent that. Because God and Noah were on the same page. And so they watched the Ten Commandments and Noah and the Passion, and they start developing their doctrines based on the movie rather than studying God's Word. And what does the Bible said? Paul the Apostle says, Rejection of the gospel is happening because that's how people think. He says in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 10, look what he says. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Why? Because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. That's why Jesus said what he did in John 4 and verse 23. Look what he said. Verse 4, verse 23 of John chapter 4 and verse 24. But the hour is coming together and when? Now is. When the true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in how? Spirit and in truth. Amen. Now why? Why is that the case? I get letters from people. I love it when my wife reads these letters. I get letters. Some of you that are watching send me letters. Mike send me letters. You know, brethren, we might think that, you know, Streaming these sermons are, you don't even, I mean, you're here, but you might say, well, why are you guys streaming sermons? Why do you want to update your video equipment? Do you realize how many people have come to know Jesus and the truth because of that? I get letters from people that used to be Baptist, used to be Catholic. I get people, letters from people that used to be Jehovah's Witness. I got a letter from a lady who was Jehovah's Witness. How many years? No, no 47 years. 37 years, that's right. 37 years, she said, but I'm a Seventh-day Adventist now. Thank you for opening my eyes. Watching. That little, little, little television screen, right there. A little camera. Get letters all day long from people that are saying, this morning she read one, thank you for doing what you're doing. We've been watching the sermons for months. Please keep preaching the truth. I got a Cuban man, just I spoke to him on the phone the other day. He says, after 73 years, I gave my life back to Jesus Christ. Amen, somebody? He said, one day, my wife and I were going through the internet, and we bumped into your church service, and we've been watching ever since. My, life has not, my wife has not yet given her life to the Lord, but we're now taking Bible studies with amazing facts, and when I come home from work, she's saying, honey, let's get together and study our Bible. 
Well, thank you for being faithful. You see, why is that the case? Why is it important for us to live out our creed? Here's the reason why. Look at John 10, 16. This is the reason why. Other sheep, Jesus said, I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice. When we proclaim God's word, they hear his voice. And Jesus says, and there will be together one flock and one shepherd. Jesus is saying we're living in the hour that people are being gathered in. And if I just spent this sermon giving you, just reading to you the letters, your heart will be encouraged. My wife and I said, and thank for Mike's, Mike be sending them to us. And, and Celestine sends them too. She sends emails sometimes and voice messages of people that are saying, praise God for, 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 for the Thompsonville Seventh-day Adventist Church and for 3ABN. But if you don't proclaim the message as it is in Christ, nobody would hear it. We have to let our light shine, which brings me to my last point. Not only the rejection of the gospel, but the number one reason I believe Jesus is coming again is, say it with me, the proclamation of the gospel. The proclamation of the gospel. Are you, do you want to proclaim it? Proclaim it in your life. And also carry tracks in your car. Furnish yourself as a soldier that every person you meet, Bob, Bob is on the battlefield for the Lord. You better not run into Bob. If he can't get you, his wife will. Remember Pastor E. e. Cleveland, he said he was, at a, he was at a gas station once, and he said, what happened to my wife? He was waiting for his wife. What happened to my wife? He sent a lady, in the, he said, my wife went to the bathroom. Could you go in there and see what happened? He said, I went to the bathroom, and my wife had three women up against the wall saying, don't leave until I get some tracks. I'll be right back. He says she would arrest people and tell them don't move until she gave them a track. And they would get ready. And she said she was a, a marvelous evangelist. Every person you meet is a candidate for the kingdom. Amen, somebody. You got to proclaim the gospel. Here's the guarantee that Jesus has left. Why is the appearing of God going to be glorious? This is the reason why. Matthew 24, 14. Together say it. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a what? Witness to all nations and what's going to happen next. Then the end will come. The final call to the world. Let me make a very important point here. It is time for us to get back to the Adventist part of our name. Not just the seventh day part of our name. We, we show up to church on Sabbath. But are we Adventists? Thank you, Bob. You know what that means? Somebody ought to run into you and they said, well, why are you a Christian? Because I'm getting ready for the coming of Jesus. Young folk, I'm getting ready for the coming of Jesus. When they start telling you how bad politics are, just keep smiling. Why are you so happy? I'm getting ready for the coming of Jesus. And I tell you, you better do that because if you try to sort out politics, it'll tick you off. Amen. 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 You, am I telling the truth? Don't discuss politics with anybody because they might punch you in the mouth. It's a high probability. There's some violent Christians on the Internet. Can I get one amen? Oh, yeah. My wife got off the Internet for that reason. She got off of Facebook. People violent. Sabbath keeping violent. 
<laughs> they send you an icon with a fist or an eye popping out, little emojis that express their anger. It's time for seventh day Sabbath keepers to get back, Joe, to the Adventist part of it, the coming of Jesus. Amen? If you're there, as I'm closing up now, if you're there, listen to what Revelation 19, verse 7, this is the Adventist part of our name. This is the part of those who are looking beyond the next election to the election of grace. I think just two people heard that. I'm not concerned about the next election. I'm concerned about the election of grace. That's what's going to get me in. Here's what the Bible says. Let us be glad and rejoice. When you look at the crumbling world, it says, let us be glad and rejoice. Why? And give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. What does it mean, his wife has made herself ready? It not only is that talking about the new Jerusalem getting ready for the coming of the Lord, but it's saying the church is getting ready for the bridegroom to take her home. We're getting ready. We are making sure that our garments are spotless. We are spending time on our knees and in God's word. We are examining our hearts and our lives and seeing if there's anything wicked in us. We are facing ourselves in the mirror saying, you're not ready. Stop doing that. We're calling for the grace of God to clean us up, to stand us up, to get us ready for the coming of the Lord. Because I tell you, mother, brethren, the consummation of our hope the faithfulness of the, of the return of the Lord is at hand. Look how John describes it so beautifully. This is yet to be an occurrence, but listen to what he says in Revelation 9, verse 11 to 16. This is the event that we are looking forward to. He says, Revelation 19, verse 11 to 16. Listen to what he says. Now I saw heaven open. This is coming to a theater near you. This is coming. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called what? Faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like the flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He, he was clothed with a right, white robe, dipped in blood, and his name is called the what? The word of God. What else? And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on what else? White horses. You ain't seen nothing like that. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And it goes on to say, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written together, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That is the event that we're getting ready for. What do you say? One day, when this world is racked in pain, one day, when everything that we have leaned upon has fallen over, one day, when every government agency has turned its back against us, one day, when we are running to the rocks and the mountains and trying to hide from the persecutors of this earth and those who hate the righteous, 
One day when Jesus is giving us glimpses of hope to say, hold on just a little longer, and the heavens are black as sackcloth, and the world is in turmoil, one day when the world is falling apart like a cookie that's crumbling in an earthquake, somewhere along the way, in the middle of a dark night, these words would come to pass. When I've found these in great controversy, I'm ending with this quotation. Praise God for it. The servant of the Lord gives us a glimpse of that glorious day. She says, in a setting like I just described, through a rift, great controversy, page 638, paragraph 2. Through a rift in the clouds, there beams a star whose brilliance is increased fourfold in contrast with the darkness. It speaks hope and joy to the faithful, but severity and wrath to the transgressors of God's law. Those who have sacrificed all for Christ's sake are secure, hidden as in the secret of the Lord's pavilion. What do you say? They have been tested and before the world and the despisers of truth, they have invinced their fidelity to him who died for them. A marvelous change has come over those who have held fast their integrity in the very face of death. They have been suddenly delivered from the dark and terrible tyranny of men, transformed to demons. Their faces so lately pale, anxious, and haggard are now aglow with wonder, faith, and love. Can I get an amen somewhere? Their voices raise in triumphant song. Here's what they say. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, will not we fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and are troubled, Though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, there are going to be those in the hour of descending darkness, they're going to be running back to the light. In the hour of moral corruption, they're going to be running towards holiness. In an hour when truth is rejected, they're going to be standing on the unchangeable word of God when the invitation to falsehood and darkness has been rejected, they're going to be standing and running back to Jesus. And when complacency is finally dissipated, they're going to say, we've been getting ready for the coming of Christ. What a day it's going to be. What a day it's going to be. I'm holding on. What about you? The glorious appearing of Jesus is just on the horizon. So when you go home after church today, don't turn on the news. Come on, don't turn it on. Don't look on the internet to ask, what is the left and right doing? Stay completely down to center and stand on God's word. Because the wise doctor, after being converted, he said these words, when you see all these things, when you see these things begin to happen, Luke 21, 28, when you see these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. One day we will never see the face of injustice again. One day we will never see the face of immorality again. Not too long from now, the face of political corruption will forever disappear. The face of deception and violence and sadness 
won't even be a memory one day. You know why? Because we will have been enraptured by the glorious appearing of Jesus. Is there anybody here today that wants to stand with me and say, I know it's bad, but I'm holding on because the glorious appearing of Jesus is more important to me than anything that any leader on this planet can ever fill my heart with. Men make promises that they cannot keep, but all of God's promises are yes and amen. Men say they can do this and do that, but only Jesus has done this and that. Men say they can deliver you from the next crisis, but as this young man who gave his life to Jesus at 73, he said to me, he said, you know, pastor, he said, you know, pastor, he called me again. He said, you know, pastor, I was watching the news. He said, I was raised as a Seventh-day Adventist. I went to La Sierra University. I graduated with the intention to become a Bible teacher, but something happened and I lost my faith. I left the church. He said, I became a mean man. I didn't like people. I lost my connection to Christ. And for many, many decades, every time the voice of God came to me, I rejected the voice of God. But he said, COVID hit. COVID hit. And the world got shut down. And I couldn't go anywhere. And I was at home saying to myself, there's got to be more than this. And he said, and I turned on the news and I saw the president speak. And after him, somebody spoke that contradicted him. And after the person that contradicted the president spoke, somebody spoke after him that contradicted the person that contradicted the president. And he said, they can't even solve the crisis of COVID. How are they going to solve my soul's crisis? He said, I needed something more. And I got to the internet and began to peruse. And I bounced into the Thompsonville Seventh-day Adventist Church sermon. And I've been watching it ever since. And I found 3ABN and I've been watching it ever since. And he said, and I was watching it one day and Spanish pastor, because this man is from Cuba, he said a Spanish pastor was making an appeal and he made the hope of Jesus so clear. He said, I was at home, no fanfare, no music, no choirs, no stage, but I could not resist. And I said, Lord, I give you my life. And he said to me in tears on the phone as, as Pastor Turner is sitting there listening with me on this call. I was at his house when this call came in. Pastor Turner is listening to this man practically in tears on the phone. He said, he said, Pastor, if you only know the peace in my life that I haven't had for 73 years, I've got peace that I cannot explain. He said, God has so turned my life around. I wrote a letter to my brother, said, forgive me for all the evil things I've said to you. He said, we were so at odds. We would be at odds. And he said, okay, you don't want to talk to me? Let's just meet at the next funeral like good families do. We wouldn't, he said, but when God came to my life, I wrote letters of apology to people I offended. I called them and I said, I apologize. He said, I began to pay people back that I did wrong. My life was turning around. And when I wrote my brother and said, forgive me, he said, don't worry about it. I've been praying for you for 40 years. He said, now, he called me again. He said, pastor, I got to call you again because I'm so excited about Jesus' coming. Thank you for what you've done. Can you pray with me? I want you to pray that I keep holding on. And just two days ago, I prayed with that man again. But he saw it through this camera lens. He saw it through 3ABN, but then he knew there was a sad part of the story. He wrote his sister 
He had offended his brother and sister. He wrote his sister an email asking for forgiveness. Didn't get a reply. He wrote her again, no reply. He said, I got the right email address. He texted her, no reply. He texted her again, no reply. And a few days later, he got a call from his brother and said, our sister has just been rushed to the hospital. She's been overtaken by COVID-19. And two days later, they got a phone call. He said, our sister just passed away from COVID-19. He said, Pastor, if you only know the pain that brought to my heart, to know that I never heard from my sister the words, I forgive you. It's a burden I will carry. But my brother has given me assurance that I've turned my life over to Jesus. And he says, Christ has forgiven you in your sister's behalf. And you'll meet again in the resurrection. So my brethren, I speak of something that maybe somebody watching today needs, the assurance that Jesus is coming again. Maybe somebody here wants to raise their hands and say, I want you to pray for me because I want to be ready for the coming of the Lord. I, want to, I don't want to be pulled down the road of this and that. I want to be pulled down the, that little narrow path that leads where the light of God never grows dim. If there's somebody here today, because this week is going to come with all the ferocity it can muster and hit you politically, socially, mentally, and physically. It's going to say to you, support me. And God is going to say, what about my son, Jesus? So I want to pray right now. Loving Father in heaven, I know I've taken a little more time today, but I believe that there's nothing more important than your glorious appearing. And we as a people that have been given this message that is of such great importance, sometime has squandered it for things that really never permanently satisfy. And I pray for that person that's watching today that may be sequestered in their home. They may be by themselves saying, I have not been in church since March. Today I'm giving my life back to Christ. I'm praying for that individual. If you want us to know that Christ has made a difference in your life, just send us an email here. Go to our church website. But even more than that, if you don't even send an email, just give your life to Christ and ask him to get you ready for that glorious appearing. I pray for those who are here in our family that we too may know that our only hope is in the throne of grace where the King of glory is getting our mansion ready. Father, may we be faithful unto death, if that be the case, that we receive a crown of life on that resurrection day. But if not, may we be alive on that day and say, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. In Jesus' name, we make this request. And everybody said, Amen and Amen.